Welcome to season three of What Really Happened, executive produced by Seven Bucks Productions, Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia, and Brian Gewertz in association with Cadence 13. It's written and hosted by me, Andrew Jenks, and this episode co-written by Alex Pepper. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Andrew Jenks. You can also become a contributor to the show by going to jenkspod.com slash contributors. We dance round in a ring and suppose, but the secret sits in the middle and knows. That's right. We're starting off today's episode with a Robert Frost quote. January 29th, 2019. Early morning, around 2 a.m. The 500 block of East Lower North Water Street in Chicago's Streeterville neighborhood. A neighborhood that is home to some of Chicago's tallest skyscrapers, upscale shops, hotels, and dining. A 36-year-old African-American man walks back to his nearby apartment from a local Subway restaurant. Two white men approach him, shouting slurs and screaming. This is MAGA country, they say. The encounter escalates. The two assailants strike the 36-year-old in the face. They pour an unknown liquid on his head and then put a noose around his neck. No, this isn't the 1800s. This isn't even the 1960s. This is the 21st century. Could it really be happening? Well, maybe, or maybe not. Because the stories that this man and the one the police uncover are very different, leaving us all asking, what really happened? Meet Jussie Smollett, a 37-year-old American actor and singer from California, who is most known for his role as Jamal Lyon on Fox's hit drama, Empire. Beyond that, Smollett is an outspoken activist for the LGBTQ and African-American communities to which he belongs. And on the night of January 29th, he is the victim of that heinous attack I just described. Thankfully for Smollett, he stands at six feet tall and about 175 pounds. He's able to fight off his attackers and they flee the scene. After collecting himself, Smollett returns to his apartment a few blocks away where his business manager calls the police. When police arrive, he still has the noose around his neck. The police said the victim was treated for scrapes and bruises and they began searching for the assailants. Smollett told officers that the primary attacker was wearing a ski mask that covered his entire face, with the exception of the area around his eyes by which Smollett could tell the attacker was white-skinned. They release a statement, quote, overnight, the Chicago Police Department released a report of a possible racially charged assault and battery involving a cast member of the television show Empire. Given the severity of the allegations, we are taking this investigation very seriously and treating it as a possible hate crime. Detectives are currently working to gather video, identify potential witnesses, and establish an investigative timeline. The victim is fully cooperating with investigators, and we ask anyone with information about this incident to contact Area Central Detectives. And in that moment, because of his fame and the nature of the attack, 
the story sparks a public match that engulfs both mainstream and social media for weeks. The New York Times, CNN, CBS News, NPR, USA Today, and many other news outlets had stories ready to print that very night, less than 24 hours after the attack. Talk show host Andy Cohen tweeted, this is vile. Viola Davis tweeted, OMG, this is why the LGBT community continue to fight to be seen and protected against hate. We all have to take this racist and homophobic act of violence very personally. My arms are around you, Jesse Smollett. You are loved. Presidential candidate Kamala Harris tweeted, Jesse Smollett is one of the kindest, most gentle human beings I know. I'm praying for his quick recovery. This was an attempted modern-day lynching. No one should have to fear for their life because of their sexuality or color of their skin. We must confront this hate. Another potential U.S. president tweeted, The vicious attack on actor Jussie Smollett was an attempted modern-day lynching. I'm glad he's safe. To those in Congress who don't feel the urgency to pass our anti-lynching bill, designating lynching as a federal hate crime, I urge you to pay attention. Others who tweeted their support of Smollett included actor, writer, producer of Empire, Danny Strong, Vivica A. Fox, John Legend, the list goes on. On February 1st, Smollett releases an official statement to Essence magazine that reads, Let me start by saying that I'm okay. My body is strong, but my soul is stronger. More importantly, I want to say thank you. The outpouring of love and support from my village has meant more than I will ever be able to truly put into words. I am working with authorities and have been 100% factual and consistent on every level. Despite my frustrations and deep concern with certain inaccuracies and misrepresentations that have been spread, I still believe that justice will be served. Almost two weeks later, He then goes on ABC News for a 15-minute interview with Robin Roberts. But on that same day while he is telling his story, the Chicago police are unfolding their own as they apprehend two persons of interest at O'Hare International Airport. African-American brothers Abel and Ola Asundaro. Abel and Ola are not famous. So who are they and where did they come from and... What do they have to do with the Jussie Smollett case? Well, let's start with the first question. Who are they? The Asandaros were born and raised in Chicago and are American citizens of Nigerian descent. On the same day as the attack, they were leaving to visit Nigeria and detained at the airport upon their return. If you rewind back, you'll find a trail of breadcrumbs that led them and the world to the Smollett investigation. In 2012, Ola was charged with attempted murder in a 2011 stabbing that occurred in the area of North Ashland. He allegedly reached a plea deal with prosecutors and pled guilty to aggravated battery, and he was sentenced to two years of probation and ordered to pay a $674 fine. In 2015, the brothers started a party and decoration store that soon closed and eventually in 2016, they filed for bankruptcy. 
Then, in 2017, Smollett met the brothers on the set of Empire. Abel was a stand-in for Smollett's love interest, and Ola had appeared as an extra in multiple scenes. Neither are formally credited for their work on the show, but social media posts and set images confirm they were indeed in it. Beyond that, the brothers also claim to have trained at the same gym as Smollett. That's important. We'll come back to that. For now, let's return to 2019, where the Austinderos are being held by Chicago PD as persons of interest. Thanks to modern technology, detectives were able to gather video snippets from nearby city, business, and doorbell cameras, where they tracked the brothers' movements. Said the commander who led the team of detectives investigating the case, it was because of these police cameras, our investment in technology in the city of Chicago, and the great assistance from the community with those other cameras that led us to a really solid timeline of where our two persons of interest went. First, they had footage of them leaving the scene after the quote-unquote attack, then hopping into a taxi, where police received security footage from inside the vehicle that captured the brothers' uncovered faces. From there, police began to backtrack the brothers' movements. The brothers took an Uber from their home on the city's north side to a location in Old Town where cameras spotted them. From there, they hailed a cab and took that vehicle to a location about two miles away from the crime scene where they had gotten out and walked the rest of the way. After 48 hours, the maximum time a person can be held without being charged with a crime in Chicago, the brothers choose to cooperate and implicate Smollett, saying he orchestrated the incident. Police issued this statement. Due to new evidence as a result of today's interrogations, the individuals questioned by police in the Empire case have now been released without charging, and detectives have additional investigative work to complete. Meanwhile, something strange happened. The top prosecutor in Chicago, Cook County State Attorney Kim Fox, announced that she was recusing herself from the Smollett investigation because of familiarity she had with potential witnesses. Her office explained, shortly after the incident occurred in late January, Fox had conversations with a family member of Jussie Smollett about the incident and their concerns, and facilitated a connection to the Chicago Police Department who were investigating the incident. According to the statement, Fox, quote, decided to remove herself from the decision-making in this matter and delegated it to her first assistant. And then the story takes a turn. Because the police, who were once investigating this attack as a potential hate crime, have now turned their spotlight on a new suspect, the victim. On February 20th, 2019, the unthinkable hits the newswire. Jussie Smollett is charged by the Chicago PD with filing a false police report, a felony that carries a penalty of up to three years in prison. And the next day, the police unfold a story in front of the press that is truly shocking. According to the Associated Press, investigators reviewed extensive phone records between Smollett and the brothers, including calls from when the brothers were in Nigeria after the allegedly staged attack. 
They also cited text messages between Smollett and Abel Asandaro, revealing they exercised and socialized together. A four-page court document laid out the allegations that Smollett hired the brothers to buy masks and rope, transactions recorded on surveillance video. Smollett then told Abel to not hurt him too badly and give him a chance to appear to fight back. He then plotted out their attack, including a date and time, and paid them $3,500 to do so. Phone records show that Smollett and Abel spoke briefly by phone a little more than an hour before the attack. Smollett told Abel during the call that the attack should be carried out at 2 a.m. at an already scouted location near the actor's home. Minutes later, Ola hailed the Uber and the brothers started making their way to the crime scene. Less than 18 hours after the incident, Smollett and Abel traded phone calls. The brothers then boarded a flight for their overseas trip. The next day, Smollett made a nearly nine-minute call to Abel in Turkey. Chicago PD Superintendent Eddie Johnson came out and said, I come to you not only as the superintendent of the Chicago Police Department, but also as a black man who spent his entire life living in the city of Chicago. I know the racial divide that exists here. I know how hard it's been for our city and our nation to come together. And I also know the disparities and I know the history. This announcement today recognizes that Empire actor Jesse Smollett took advantage of the pain and anger of racism to promote his career. I'm left hanging my head and asking why. Why would anyone, especially an African-American man, use the symbolism of a noose to make false accusations? How could someone look at the hatred and suffering associated with that symbol and see an opportunity to manipulate that symbol to further his own public profile? How can an individual who's been embraced by the city of Chicago turn around and slap everyone in this city in the face by making these false claims. Bogus police reports cause real harm. They do harm to every legitimate victim who's in need of support by police and, and investigators as well as the citizens of this city. He added, this stunt was orchestrated by Smollett because he was dissatisfied with his salary. So he concocted a story about being attacked. Now, our city has problems. We know that. We have problems that have affected people from all walks of life, and we know that. But to put the national spotlight on Chicago for something that is both egregious and untrue is simply shameful. As for why the Osenderos confessed their former lawyer said at the time, there was never a change of heart. There was a point where this story needed to be told, and they manned up and they said, we're going to correct this. Plea deal, immunity, all of that, they don't care about that. The fallout of this bombshell was seismic. Empire, whose cast and crew had so vehemently spoken out against Smollett's attack, dropped his character from the show. In a joint statement released a day after his arrest, they said that while we care about him deeply, they were making the move in order to avoid further disruption on set. 
Actor Patton Oswalt tweeted, Way to go, Jussie. You just handed this racist dipshit, as in President Trump, I'm just quoting him, a get-out-of-race-baiting-free card that he's going to wave around like a soiled diaper until he's re-elected. Andy Cohen added, My head is exploding this morning. I have to get off Twitter. This story is pathetic. All of it. The list goes on. In a matter of weeks, the media had done a complete 180. From disgust that someone could commit such a hateful act in this century, to even greater disgust that someone could make it up. And that's not all. According to an indictment return sheet, a Cooks County grand jury increased the charges against Smollett. Instead of one count of filing a fake police report, they filed for 16 counts, each of the charges carrying a possible sentence of up to three years in prison. The grand jury filed these 16 counts with what one official would later say, just a sliver of the evidence. Jussie Smollett was in very big trouble. Until he wasn't. Nineteen days after charging Smollett with 16 counts of filing a false police report, the Cooks County State Attorney's Office all of a sudden drops the criminal charges, explaining in a brief statement, in return for forfeiting his bond to the city of Chicago and doing his community service, we agreed to dismiss the charges against him. He did community service for Operation Push. However, in a statement released by Operation Push, they said there was no court-ordered community service. So essentially, it seems like the state attorney's office was looking for reasons to let Jussie off. On top of that, the state attorney's office also said they believed Jussie did what he was in fact charged with. Asked again whether the state attorney's office believes Smollett fabricated the incident, they said, yes, this was not an exoneration. To say that he was exonerated by us or anyone is not true. Our goal and our number one priority is combating violent crime and the drivers of violence, and we look to our resources to do that, and I don't think that Mr. Smollett is a driver of violence or a violent individual. The reactions to this development were very different. Smollett spoke outside the courthouse, celebrating what he viewed as vindication. First of all, I want to thank my family, my friends, the incredible people of Chicago and all over the country and the world who have prayed for me, who have supported me, who've shown me so much love. No one will ever know how much that has meant to me and I will forever be grateful. I want you to know that not for a moment was it in vain. I've been truthful and consistent on every single level since day one. I would not be my mother's son if I was capable of one drop of what I've been accused of. This has been an incredibly difficult time, honestly one of the worst of my entire life. But I'm a man of faith, and I'm a man that has knowledge of my history, and I would not bring my family, our lives, or the movement through a fire like this. I just wouldn't. So I want to thank my legal counsel from the bottom of my heart, and I would also like to thank the state of Illinois for attempting to do what's right. Now, I'd like nothing more than to just get back to work and move on with my life. But make no mistakes, I will always continue to fight for the justice, equality, and betterment of marginalized people everywhere. So again, thank you 
for all the support. Thank you for faith and thank you to God. Bless y'all. Thank you very much. However, the local police sang a very different song and stood their ground, holding to the facts of their investigation. In a statement, Chicago Police Superintendent Johnson said, Do I think justice was served? No. Where do I think justice is? I think this city is still old an apology. And, and let me digress for a moment. When I came on this job, I've been a cop now for about 31 years. When I came on this job, I came on with my honor, my integrity, and my reputation. If someone accused me of doing anything that would circumvent that, then I would want my day in court, period, to clear my name. I've heard that they wanted their day in court with TV cameras so America could know the truth, but no, they chose to hide behind secrecy and broker a deal to circumvent the judicial system. Even well-known Mayor Rahm Emanuel echoed the superintendent's sentiments. He talked about the larger repercussions. Gay men and women who will come forward and one day say they were a victim of a hate crime who now will be doubted. People of faith, Muslim or any other religious faith, who will be a victim of hate crime. People that have also of all walks of life and backgrounds, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation. Now this casts a shadow of whether they're telling the truth. And he did this all in the name of self-promotion. And he used the laws of the hate crime legislation that all of us collectively over years have put on the books to stand up to be the values that embody what we believe in. So that's it. That's the end of this wild story, right? Wrong. Because the Chicago PD stand by the hard work of the men and women who investigated this potential hate crime, which turned out to be a potential hoax. They felt they spent taxpayer and department resources, which resulted in time wasted and trust betrayed. And so now they want it back. They can't get the time, but they can certainly get the money. So in a letter sent to Smollett's lawyers, they demand a payment from the actor to recoup the money spent on investigating his report in the sum total of $130,000. During a news conference held the same day the letter was sent, Mayor Emanuel made clear he remained convinced of Smollett's guilt. He said, when he does pay the city back for just purely what the taxpayers have fronted, in that memo section of the check, He can write, I'm sorry, and I'm accountable for what I've done. Weeks go by, and neither Smollett or the Chicago PD move. They're locked in a standoff. The Chicago PD have only threatened this potential lawsuit, and Smollett hasn't responded. He won't accept responsibility. So in April, the authorities make it official. The city's corporation counsel, Edward N. Siskel, files a complaint in the Circuit Court of Cook County, Illinois, requesting that the actor pay a civil penalty of $1,000 for each of his numerous false statements of material fact. In the complaint, it is noted that the city expended significant resources and manpower, including but not limited to $130,106.15 in Chicago Police Department overtime pay that the city paid solely due to the defendant's false statements. So Jussie does that. Everything is settled, right? No. Jussie refused to do so. 
and in September asked that the lawsuit be dismissed because he says he wouldn't have known how much it cost. So the case goes to a federal judge. And in October 2019, this federal judge says she won't have it. She refused to dismiss the lawsuit filed by the city of Chicago. Judge Virginia M. Kendall rejected Smollett's contention that he should not be made to pay $130,000 in police overtime costs plus $260,000 in damages because he could not have foreseen how seriously the police would take this hate crime report. The judge also faulted Smollett's attorneys for its, quote, attempts to muddy the waters with irrelevant arguments. The natural, ordinary, and reasonable consequence of a police report like this one, a racist, homophobic physical assault in which masked attackers invoked the President of the United States' official campaign slogan, is an intensive, sprawling investigation like the one that took place. Kendall continued, Smollett contends that police overtime pay is not foreseeable in the normal course of events. But this is hardly the normal course of events. Most crime victims, for instance, do not have the opportunity to discuss the crime on Good Morning America. The allegations were taken seriously by the Chicago Police Department in significant part due to the high profile of the claimant and the extreme nature of the accusations. This is a story about fame, a police department which was manipulated and then told to get over it. It's a story that isn't over. So for now, the Chicago police are putting together their case to show once and for all what really happened. Next week on What Really Happened, Robert Kraft is the billionaire owner of the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots. His world came crashing down when he was caught making two trips to a massage parlor. Kraft was charged with soliciting a prostitute. But when a Vanity Fair writer went to Florida to examine where this all took place, she discovered there was a larger story about what really happens in the American judicial system. That's next week on What Really Happened. If you like the podcast, I'd humbly ask you to subscribe, rate, and review. It actually can make a big difference. For any other feedback, you can reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook, at Andrew Jenks, or go to jenkspod.com for more information on the sources for this podcast.